0: quantum marketing radio the marketing podcast for insurance agents and financial professionals
1: quantum marketing radio listeners. We have a really special treat for you this month with special guest Kevin Hogan. He's actually one of the world's premier experts in body language and subliminal influence and persuasion. I think you're going to find some really useful tidbits. Uh, What's more interesting is because the uh, conversation was so engaging and so interesting, Kevin actually Uh, agreed to let us do a second podcast episode with him. So this is a special two-part series and what you're going to hear today, of course, is the part one of that interview with Kevin Hogan and I think you're going to enjoy it. And welcome to another episode of Quantum Marketing Radio.
2: I'm your host, Louie Hillman, alongside the Leverage Marketing Guy. Hey,
1: Jeff Thompson here.
2: (laughs) And we have a treat for you today. I'm going to let Jeff introduce this uh, guest. He is a Big fan of uh, our guest today, and has read several of his books.
1: Yes, that I am. Uh, very excited for our guest today. Um, for those of you who haven't heard of him, uh, Kevin's the author of 22 books. Um, he's best known for his international best-selling book, *The Psychology of Persuasion*: How to Persuade Others to Your Way of Thinking. Uh, he's the body language and unconscious influence expert for the Wall Street Journal. Fox, ABC, and the New York Times, as well as numerous other media outlets. Um, Welcome, Kevin Hogan.
3: Thank you. It's really good to have you guys here at my home today, and it's nice to be on your podcast, and I'm looking forward to talking to your people out there.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for being on. So um, being an influence expert, I guess let's start off with, you know, what is influence and why is it important?
3: The little baby cries. The baby is trying to compel you to do something, right? The baby does. And so everything the baby tells you, the little baby in the mother's arm is giving mom some information, right? And the baby says, uh, she, she cries. And so you tried to feed the baby and while the baby still cries. So the baby, so you were incorrect in your assessment. And so the baby being compelling is going to continue to ask until, and this is the great piece of advice that Dottie Walters gave me years ago. Dottie owned the largest speakers bureau in the United States for 20 years. And, um, I one day brought the psychology persuasion tour at the back of the room at an event. Well, that book came out, and, uh, and I walked up to Dottie, a little five-foot, one-inch woman, beautiful, sweet lady, and uh, I said, Dottie, I go, you know, I go, I'm only making, you know, this much money per event, and I'd like to make, you know, twice or three times as much. And she looked up at me, and she says, well, honey, have you asked? And I was like, no. And then she looked <laughs> at the title of the book,
0: and she says, well, honey, you ask. They'll
3: say yes, they'll like you, really, do it. I gave her a big hug and a kiss. That was the best (laughs) advice I ever heard. And so we went from 2,500 to 5,000 to 10,000 to more. And it was really wonderful, just little things like that. So the baby keeps asking until. And that's the first great piece of advice that people can have. And that's what influence is. Every piece of communication is all about the um, influencing and persuading of another person. Honey, I'm going to the store. You're actually asking for permission. And also making sure it's okay. And you're also saying, hey, would you like to tell me if there's anything you want from the store? So communication, you could argue that all communication is influence. Is it effective? Generally not. But that's where we come in.
2: Okay. You've made a career out of the effectiveness of persuasion. What was your interest in the topic? And what was that breakthrough moment in your career where you realized this is something you could understand and um, explore and help people be more effective at using?
3: Three, three short stories, short versions of stories. The first was when I was a little kid, 11, 12, and 13 years old. Um, my father had died, and we were living in Chicago, very poor. And uh, I did anything I could to start business, and eventually we started to sell greeting cards. And so my mom bought Cheerful House greeting cards, which was really kind of cool because then I got to knock on the door of Everybody in the neighborhood, and then those neighborhoods where people didn't know me. And I was just a little kid. I was just a geeky little. I'm still just a geeky little kid, but <laughs> I was a geeky little kid then. And I found out that like how close I sat to some, or you know, stood to somebody, or how far I would come back after knocking on the door, just as a little kid, would determine often whether they would open the door. And then when I walked into the person's house to asked the lady if she would want to buy the greeting cards, um, I found that if I had the um, booklet in her hand that she could be looking through. I noticed that people would buy more often than if I was paging through it for them. And so at this bizarrely young age, I became amazingly geeky about all the little nuances of selling greeting cards because we needed the money really bad at home. When I got to college at the University of Wisconsin, um, I took a nonverbal communication class with um, a professor that was a genius when it came to coming up with ideas. And here I was, 18, 20 years old perhaps, and uh, she said, you know here's what project I think would be cool for you. Cause I always dress in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt pretty much. That's pretty much a guarantee. And she said, why don't you go to, um, Keepstake diamonds or whatever it was called. Most those case jewelers and purchase a diamond, see what the largest diamond they will open up out of the safe for you is. And then go back the next day with whatever suit and tie you can muster up and see if <laughs> the diamond at another location in the twin cities, what would it get you? And it turned out that when we went to, um, uh, this store, my Jim Jacobs and my friend, and I went to the, the store with the suit and tie. We were able to get as much as a fifty thousand dollar diamond out, and it was about three carats, and three and a half carats, and have them show it to us. But when we were there in jeans and t shirt, they wouldn't pull out anything over ten thousand hmm. dollars. That was the next experience, and the the final piece that really got me ecstatic about it, um, especially the nonverbal communication pieces of influence. Um, everything from how close we sit together to whether I lean into your communication and all of those things that nobody ever thinks about, all the nuances. What what does this specific gesture mean like that? Um, I started to study the little things, and some of the biggest discoveries I've had were because of exactly just meeting with people like you guys like this in, in rooms, and all of a sudden I realized, hmm, it's interesting. Why is it that this gentleman over here is more attentive, say, than this gentleman over here. Why is it that this woman over here is actually liking me more than that one? And we were able to know that because I literally would ask people on a scale of one to 10, how comfortable are you? Now, just so you know, we've got, is it Jeff? Yes? Jeff is off to my left and I'm off to his right, which hypothetically should mean he's having a pretty good experience because it's all logical. There's no emotional um, gunk going off in his brain. Where Louie over here, who's, uh, I'm off to his left side, that means I'm talking basically to his right brain. So he's got all kinds of feelings and emotions wrapping around stories in his mind. Stories, by the way, almost always are negative. So he's like, oh yeah, I've been in this interview situation before, it was a tough one. So if I had you guys write down a number just for the heck of it, it would be like seven and five or eight and six, as opposed to how comfortable you were in the situation. And if you look across at your partner here, you'll see that he seems substantially more comfortably than you are. An interesting irony. So, just so you guys on, on, uh, on the podcast know, <laughs> that's exactly what, of course, now we have everybody's changing now. So, so, anyway, so that's that's really what triggered the fascination, and that's why I wrote The Psychology of Persuasion in 96 and The Science of Influence in uh, 2 uh, written a few influence books since then, The publishers like them. Um, but that's sort of the, the genesis of all of it.
2: Oh, that is fantastic. I should note Jeff does have the comfy couch, and I had to pull over the
3: this is a true so Those are, those are uh, mitigating factors. Those are mitigating factors. Environmental factors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> also important.
1: Yep. So our audience is mostly insurance agents and financial advisors. Um, what are the important things that an agent can do to become more persuasive?
3: All kinds of things. The recent um, one of the people I, I consult with entrepreneurs, basically, some are agents. And people like to create their presentation. Which I think is fine, but instead of creating a presentation, why don't you develop a way to ask questions, to talk to people? Um, one of the stories that I have, I don't sell insurance, and I probably never will, but one of the great stories that I've told everybody is when I was a kid, I told you my father had died, and had he left life insurance of any amount, any amount, we would have been able to have a survivable income and not be threatened with being orphaned and, mm-hmm. you know, at, at 11 years old. So. People really don't need a pitch. They really need to just think, what is this person expecting out of me? What are they anticipating I'm gonna do? And then what am I going to do that's a little bit different? So I surprise them. So I make them think just a little bit deeper about what I'm gonna say. So for example, I might say, have you ever known anybody in your life that passed away and didn't leave their family enough life insurance to cover all the bills and take care of their kids through college? Perhaps it's no, but I do. And I can tell you that it's really tough. So when you uh, when somebody passes away, it's really important that you, as an agent, that you would have a story like that. But even more important than that is my ability to ask you questions. Say, you know, here we are, you know, talking about life insurance, and I can show you a million products. I can show you universal and whole life and term and everything. But all of that stuff is pretty meaningless. What really matters is what what can I do for you that's helpful? Can I ask you ten questions? Can I ask you seven questions? You know, it's like, how many kids do you have and how old are they? And can I ask you, I hate to ask you, but how old are you? you know, to, you know, If you're 54, then you have 26.3 le- years left on your you know, life expectancy table. Yeah. So we can cover all that. And, and so just so you know, you're going to live 26.3 more years, which by the way is pretty good. So as we talk a little bit, people can laugh and they can have a real engaging conversation. And then you can say, okay, based upon this, I could show you 50 plans, or I could give you two that I think are useful ideas. I could show you one whole product, which honestly, gosh, in this situation, I don't think is your best choice. And I th- because you just don't have the money necessarily to do it, but I think that a term, which we could later upgrade a, uh, a couple of years for you guys. So maybe a 10 year level premium term would be great. Um, can I show you what the numbers would estimate out to be on that? You can never believe an insurance estimate. Just let me just tell it to you and then I'll print it out on the computer and send it to you. We don't ever, mm-hmm. you can't 7%, 10%, 2%. I don't want to kid you with the numbers. How about I just tell you what I think it's going to do? Mm-hmm. Just talk to people like they're human beings. It's amazing what just that does.
1: Rather than focusing on the numbers or the product. You're... Yeah,
3: people aren't numbers people. They right. really aren't. They really want to connect with Louis and Jeff and Kevin. That's what they really want.
1: So I've heard sales trainers say this, and I'm curious what your position is on it, that um, people make their decisions 100% emotionally and then support it with logic. What would you say to that?
3: I would say that's partially true. The um, Before you walked in the door today, uh, you guys knocked on the door and uh, you had an idea of what Kevin Hogan would be like. And in fact, before you walk in the door, you have a perception of what the situation is going to be. We're going to go to Kevin Hogan's house, we're going to talk to him. And, Hang out for a while. That could be all of these possible experiences we would have. So I will behave this way, and but so that plays into your decision, yes or no. Also, what's my name? It's Kevin. What if it was uh, Wilbur or uh, or uh, Jennifer or you know or Xenia, my, my son's girlfriend. So so all of a <laughs> so all of a sudden it's like the name biases you as to the communication that you're going to have. Which sure. by the way, as an agent, you should be terrified of this because the. Person's name is going to bias you and you, how you communicate with them, and you want to step back from that bias. That goes into my decision-making process because I'll feed off of the energy, the 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 emotion that you give me. Now, once we're, you're here and once we're we're in the situation, now the very the very next thing that's going to decide is I've already decided no. I did an experiment one time. We took. Um, a, a a gold coin around Egan. Egan is a small town here in the Twin Cities, about 60,000 people. And I had a buddy of mine, Scott, and we walked around my McMansion neighborhood. And we basically just walked up to people's doors, knocked on the doors, and uh, had Scott say, gold is at $1,253 an ounce today. Um, we'd, We'd like to sell you this coin for $750. Every single person said no. Wow. Every single person. And then I gave him $1,500 cash in Mystic Lake, which is a casino locally here. The night before, I just pulled some cash off the table, $1,500. I said, here, sell this for 750 You know, he's like, well, what, what idiot wouldn't do that? I said, there's not one person that you can sell this money to for $750. He says, well, that's
0: ridiculous, because you could easily just take the 1500 take half <laughs> the money right out of there, and then give it
3: back and walk away but I was very comfortable because this is called reactance. Reactance, in other words, I've already decided no. So you have no chance of making this sale. So Scott would go up to the door, knock on the door, hide, and I would tell the names of each of the neighbors. And he'd say, um, I'd like to uh, let you know that I'm selling $1,500 today for $750. And every single person, we did 20 odd people that day in the neighborhood, everybody said no. So that's reactance. So long before you have an emotion, long before you have a thought, you've already said no because the, the barriers are so high, but I bet you might be interested in knowing how to get past that rank.
1: That would be very interesting. Because so, without it, you
3: can't sell fifteen hundred dollars for seven hundred. Really,
1: good luck selling any life insurance then. It's
3: almost impossible. So, so what has to happen is something has to um, give you the ability to show that you're actually not giving a pitch, that you actually don't have a pre-canned presentation, which you're going to then. Irritate every emotion and verify every fear that I have. Reactance means I'm afraid of the manipulation, right? Mm-hmm. So if I say, "Hi, I'm Kevin Hogan with uh, uh, State," f- I'm sorry, with State Farm Insurance. Been working there for 14 years. Uh, sorry about that. Anyway, now all of a sudden I made one mistake, and now I'm human. And as soon as you become human, the person says, "Don't worry about it. Come on in." And now all of a sudden... Is that
1: sort of an empathy thing? People are willing exactly. to...
3: Exactly. We have found that making one mistake, one guffaw, one little one little error, a flub, being perfect is exactly what doesn't work. Being imperfect and being flawed actually makes money for people. It's and that's that why authenticity. So, exactly. Authenticity was what uh, Jeff said. And that's right. The, the closer you can get to your real self without maybe saying all the swear words and the irritating things you say to your wife... If you can do that, the probability of you making sales is going to go up. And eventually, as people see more of you and who you are inside, the probability goes way up. And so the little errors at the very beginning allow people's resistance to drop because, after all, if you have a perfected pitch and a sales presentation, yeah, it's perfect. You're designed to manipulate me right up to a yes, which is going to work about one out of every five times. But if you don't have that but you have the same knowledge base and you are willing to make a couple of mistakes along the way, you're gonna get four out of five instead
1: of one out of five. So is that mistake sort of, uh, is that an emotional reaction that makes you more likable? Is that the idea? It is because
3: I'm already thinking as you you hit the door, I mean, I made the appointment, so I'm not uninterested, right? I mean, I did make the appointment, which is kind of nice for you to know. In other words, there is a part of me somewhere within the non-conscious realms of my brain that says, oh yeah, I really do want to buy some insurance and I know it would be necessary. There is a piece of that in there. But it's, it's being balanced. And so now it just comes down to f- the original, the initial fear. And then it will be about the emotion. Then it will be about the story about my dad, for example, who passed away in 1974 when I was 11. Or it will be um, because I love my family. I care about my kids. And I want to make sure they're taken care of should anything happen. And it really has so little to do with what percent you're going to promise me is going to turn around. And as the, you get a smarter uh, buyer, They know that nobody can guarantee a percent anyway. So it's like, why bother even talking about it? You know, let's just talk about $250,000 level premium. And let's talk about the things that we can do without overwhelming me with options, which will kill every possible sale. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we've seen that. And, you know, having worked with agents for 18 years, I've seen a lot of them get mired in lots of little technical details because I think they like it. And think that that's an important part of what they need to convey to a potential prospect. But really, it's more about that relationship and building that um, likability and trust and, you know, all the other elements. Of and it. And all that
3: really matters. It's yeah. huge, yeah.
1: Can you talk to us a little bit more? You
2: mentioned when you were selling greeting cards, mm-hmm. you would notice that uh, the proximity to the person, their body language... Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, simple things that an advisor can be looking for in these body language cues um, to maybe shift direction when somebody's telling them no with their body and, um, you know, maybe standing far away from that little greeting card salesman at the door?
3: Yeah, so I'm going to just sit back for a second. Now, you two are both sort of sitting in. We've got our all of us have our elbows on our knees and we're just sort of all huddled around the microphone here. But I'm just gonna sit back so you guys won't hear me quite as well. But I'm gonna sit back, I'm gonna cross my left leg over my right leg and I'm gonna put my, my forefinger up to my, my brow and my thumb on my chin. And now I'm listening. And mm-hmm. now I'm not engaged. Right. And so this situation is, means that you actually have to go back too now. Most people will stay engaged and it, right, exactly, so Willie just did, basically he just replicated my body language. We call that synchronization in psychology. So, and so did Jeff. And that's actually what you do now. That, by the way, triggers both conscious and unconscious. I'm, I'm aware of that. So now I become aware, as your customer, that I've, I have actually caused something to happen here. Now I will determine if this is comfortable or not for me, because my house is my office, okay? So I will determine now. And as soon as I come back up closer to you, which means you're gonna hear me a little better in the microphone, now about five seconds later, you can go as far in as I did, okay? And then you can resume that position that we were in, that sort of comfortable, easygoing position. But, and so, yeah, we can actually do that and draw. And that's really important as we get back closer to the microphone and as proximity uh, decreases between us, the probability for sale increases, but you can't be the person who goes first. The customer has to go first. Just like when I first wrote about this for Men's Journal, oh man, 18 years ago, every guy in America was, you know, I t- talked about leaning forward into the conversation, and just it'll help you, you know, communicate better with women. And and so every guy was leaning into the conversation at dinner at the bar, you know. I'm you know, like, you guys are killing these women out there. Don't do that. That's not what I meant. What I said was, is if she leans into your conversation, then you lean into her, and then she likes you. And then you know she likes you. Because, you know, as guys, we, we believe that if the woman just touches us, that she's in love, right? If she just touches our knee or our shoulder or bumps against us on her way to the restroom, you know, men are very interesting creatures. Women are much better at that analyzing body language uh, than men are. So guys, when they touch you, it doesn't mean they love you. It just means that they ran into you on accident. Um, so, yeah, allow people to come closer to you when when, um, they want, and then you bend into the conversation. And there's a lot of things you can do when you're in that position. Um, eye contact when I'm talking, you should have a hundred percent eye contact, Louie, when I'm looking at you. Um, if, if I'm talking with you a hundred percent of the time you're glued to my eyes, even if I'm sitting here looking at my shoes. Okay. And it really doesn't matter. And then 50% of the time when you're talking, you should be at the floor and then back up. And I'm just going to demonstrate something which you guys won't see on audio, so I'll describe it. I'm now the salesman, that life insurance salesman. I've listened to my customer talk, and I'm looking over at Jeff now, and um, I'm looking down at the floor, and I am the salesman. So I'm not going to look 100% of the time right into Jeff's eyes as I'm talking, because if I look 100% of the time into Jeff's eyes... And he's the customer. He's going to start freaking out and wonder what like is going to happen after the after this insurance meeting today.
1: Seems a little intense. It's
3: very intense, especially when it's me looking at you. I've been told, it's like Kevin, you're going to kill me, right? Is that the deal? So no, I'm not. But that's what it looks like. So as we studied what the right amount of um, what's the right amount of time to look at people, this varies by culture, and African Americans like to look at each other more often than white America does. Europeans, um, in most, except for London, which England is not Europe, I've been told many times. So, but in the rest of Europe, um, they like to look at each other a lot, but in London, not so much. And they don't want to touch you in London either. But in Paris, they will kiss you just for the heck of it. So there's really interesting nuances and you have to be attentive, but as I'm talking to you, I communicate an information, I say yes, and I'm looking at Jeff right now in the eyes. And it doesn't matter whether he looks away or not, that's not relevant. What matters is that I'm looking at him And then I look down for a few seconds, I collect my thoughts. Now, guys, you guys are at home or in the office or in the car. Just imagine that I was talking to Jeff, and I have eye contact right now. And then all of a sudden I broke up and I looked at the ceiling or I looked at the lights (laughs) out there. And then I came back to Jeff's eyes. Well, it looks really ridiculous. So when you're communicating with somebody, the most common place that people go is up. They look around. They see what's in the office. They see what's in the building don't do that. When you break your eye contact, always break down and then come right back up, down and then back up, down to the floor and back up. When you're talking, fifty percent eye contact is the average.
2: Do the din- dynamics of this change depending on if you're meeting the client in their space in their home versus them coming to meet at your office?
3: Yeah. So let's start with the part of question you didn't ask, and which was at your office. So. Your office is essentially like going to jail. So just so you guys know, if you want to put your client in jail, feel free to invite them to your office as (laughs) often as you can because that's how they're going to feel. So please go to their home. Work with them in their home. They're comfortable. And if you've ever seen Big Bang Theory, you know that Sheldon has a spot where he sits. So the very first thing you want to do is say, hey, where do you sit? And they'll point. Because if you say, where should I sit? They'll of course
2: say what? They'll probably give you their spot. They'll say, exactly, because it's the most important. Anywhere
3: you wish. Oh, no.
1: Now they're uncomfortable.
3: <laughs> now you have just destroyed. There's no sale happening here. So that's where you begin, right? You begin by finding out where nobody sits. At the, at the dining room table, this is this, the, the unimportant people sit on the sides of the table. Mom and dad, the leaders, sit at the ends. And this is true uh, for most situations. So that's where you begin. Now, so when you, you're at my home... And I have to now remember what the original question was because, of course, we didn't quite get
2: there. Well, I was just asking about if the dynamics are different, whether you're meeting yeah. the client on their turf or inviting them onto your turf as the, as the agent.
1: Well, I think the big thing before you answer that is that it's a huge um, advantage to actually meet on their space rather than uh, your office because you say it's like prison for it's them, essentially. prison. Prison, guys. That's the term.
3: <laughs> There's two places you should meet a client and only two places. And one is in their home and the other is at lunch. Interesting. And because at lunch you have, well, let's go back to the house for a quick and then I'll go to lunch, okay? So if you meet somebody at their home and you're smart enough to sit in their not chair, okay, the chair that's not their chair, the not chair, then you've actually got an okay start. And it's really important that you ask for a glass of water or something to drink because you need the person to do something that's connecting you to them. So when you came in, the, my home today, Louis. I asked you if you wanted a glass of water, and then I asked you guys over here if you guys wanted a glass of water. This is both like drilled into me for my whole life. It's, but it's also tactically correct to do as as a salesperson.
2: How do we do with taking spots?
3: Oh, you guys did great.
2: We didn't sit this in. Is my spot. We line. didn't I sit think. in your spot. Okay. That would have been devastating. <laughs> <laughs> this interview would have been off short, the rails before interview. it even started. So, I,
3: I was on the cover of Benefit magazine in Poland group of people who sell insurance. And, uh, one of the things when I invited the interviewers, the newspaper, um, they had their own paper, their own publication. Uh, I I said, Hey, can I get you guys a Coca-Cola light? And this is Poland and Coca-Cola light is rare there. And so I had the waiter bring in uh, the, um, uh, room service, bring in, uh, four Coca-Cola lights, me and three people, as if it took three people to interview me, right? So, but they were fans, right, <laughs> which is cool. So I gave a Coca-Cola light to everybody, and they said, why didn't you offer us water? And I said, how many other people have offered you water in your life? And they said, well, everybody offers us water. I said, exactly, so who are you going to remember? And so it made the front, oh, I don't have the magazine here, I've got a couple books on banking, but um, the magazine, that was the cover story why coca-cola light might make a sale for you hmm. okay so and this by the way if you're at their house and if you see that yellow ribbon over there with the word honor on the metal behind it you can say what is that the probability is that it matters right so guys there if you're listening to the podcast right now as opposed to not listening when well, you wouldn't have heard that so there's a metal over here and it says honor on the bottom of it. certainly not mine I have haven't won a medal in years. So obviously it's my son's, right? And so he graduated. So you say, Kev, what is that all about over there? Who, who, got a, who got a medal in the house? Oh, my son got that. What for? Oh, he graduated with honors. He actually just finished his second year of college, even though he just graduated from high school. And now that's a story. This is the only thing that matters. If you listen to the story, you make a sale. If you decide that you want to talk about insurance, you're an idiot, right? So all you really want to do is find out about the metal, why he did it, how could he go to college, how do you get two years of college your last two years of high school? And that's just stuff that you and I never did. We haven't done that. So, like, that's where you want to go. Now you make your sale or it breaks right there. So if you're in the person's house, there's so much information around you that you can use. Is it art? There's no art in my house. I don't know anything about art. There's not one thing on the wall. My son says, Dad, every time somebody comes to the house, they know that you think in terms of memories. And so everywhere in this house, you see a memory. But there is no art. Essentially, there might be one piece of art in this entire house. Everything else is a memory. And that tells you about something. You know, it's like Kevin's not so concerned about pretense. It's really more about the people in his life that matters. That's pretty useful information when you're talking to your client.
1: Especially so, in the life insurance business, <laughs>
3: right? Because you're at my house now. Look, now let's so let's just say though that you didn't come to the house here, and you should always bring something up that is of significance potentially. Like why does Kevin have the Star Trek there, up on my? There's a big. Uh, uh, I don't even know how to describe this. There's this massive wall unit here, entertainment center, that has. Uh, you can see there's three Star Trek uh, series there. There's a uh, Big Bang Theory. There's the Dick Van Dyke show, two, two greeting cards, which are clearly not for me. And then there's a couple of books on the ends. What do you bet that they mean something in a house that has 3,000 books in it? We have 3,000 books in this house, but there's two up on the, up on the entertainment center. Yeah. It's just begging you to ask, isn't it? Right. <laughs> okay. So, and please, you don't have to today because there's no time for these stories, which are both really cool. But if I tell you the story, I bought insurance today. Mm-hmm. Now let's go to the restaurant. It has to be a restaurant that is going to serve great food. It's going to have very few distractions. The restaurant's the best place to have a meeting to sell life insurance because you control a lot more than you think. The first thing is, is you control food. You control the fact that the person is going to eat. When people eat, carbohydrates go into the body. When carbohydrates go in the body, serotonin is produced. When serotonin is produced, a person feels less sad, less depressed, more likely to have positive affect and positive feelings. You're the person they're sitting across looking from. So now, instead of looking across from me at your office where you're in jail and you're the prison warden and you can let me out when you choose, (laughs) now you're actually at a restaurant where the person's actually feeling good inside, factually, you know chemically they feel positive inside. It's all about you. You have brought them here, you have given them food, you've put carbohydrates in their body, and that's when you start talking about business. Eight minutes after the carbohydrates have gone into the body, serotonin begins to be produced, and now you can comfortably say, "Okay, so guy, so I've told you enough about my kids, and I, I feel like I know your family forever. Can I get five minutes on insurance? Because that's really all I need. Okay. So let me ask you a question. You, you told me you obviously your financial situation is pretty good. You're doing fine. You're working over at Cargill. You're the president, uh, the vice president, next door." Um, So everything's fine. So I think what I'd like to do is put you into something that's gonna be tax-free when you retire, okay? And I could ask you all the questions, but I'm not going to. I'm just gonna tell you what I think is gonna work best. I think you should be in a tax-free investment so when you pull it out, you have absolutely no problem with paying the tax man, unlike every other investment most everybody's in. The next thing I think that we should do is put you in something that has a big buy-in today. This means, by the way, that I get a commission on that buy-in, which I think is a really cool thing because I'm helping you get tax-free at the end of the story, all right? Now, I've just shared with you, by the way, that I get paid out of this. I'm not doing this totally out of the generosity of my heart, right? And then I say, what I would like it to do is I'd like it to be close to a quarter million dollars to a half a million dollars, whether this is an annuity or a life insurance product. And say, mom, by the way, have I scared you yet? Or is this all fine? Probability that you scared him is very tiny. So we'll say, no, I'm fine. Now, by the way, notice the question I ask. Have I scared you or is this terrifying or what? Did I say, are you comfortable with this? What a stupid question. <laughs> What a stupid question. Are you comfortable with that, Mr. Johnson? No, I'm not comfortable, lest that has to be the answer to every question. So am I terrifying you? No, of course not. Mm. Didn't I just say, right, no is the answer to the question with reactants, right? Mm-hmm. And so we ask a question that's going to get us no but still lead us to the sale.
1: Right. The no still is a yes.
3: The no absolutely is a yes. And I got to say (laughs) no to you. Yes. Honey, did you say no to him? I absolutely did. (laughs) Okay. So remember that. So as we're sitting and talking, say, okay, so the way that this pays off over time, and you already know, you've been a VP in sales over there forever. You know that the payoff could be... XYZ dollars, it could depend on what the market does any one year, we protect you in the years that it goes down because we, we buy options, you know, against the, the policy price that you have. And so if your option, option goes down, we're in great shape anyway. We, we made money. We're fine. So you don't have to worry about us or feel sad for us. This, by the way, takes away the, the fear that I have, which everybody has that's smart, which is, okay, how are you going to guarantee me? a break-even year in a year when the market goes down twenty-two percent mm-hmm. That's what everybody thinks. 90% of the people are gonna that, that are smart enough to know the question are gonna know the, the question. So I can explain to you why it makes no difference whatsoever. Mm-hmm. We're buying options one way or the other. So we're protecting ourselves on both sides. So those are the kind of questions that you do and say, okay, so do you wanna do quarter million, half million? I don't wanna stress your budget, but at the same time, I wanna make sure that you're good. And I also wanna take money that you're not gonna need for the next X amount of years. You know, Let's make sure that it stays in there that the kids don't get it until it's time for them to get it, all right? Um, Your decision. Name a number. Half million. Fine. Okay, (laughs) so I do have one little folder here. This folder is an application. Would you take it, please, and fill it out for me? And I would do this, but I got to eat, and I'm just going to have some carbohydrates. So as he sits and fills out the application, say, by the way, if you get any questions there, let me know. This is good By the way, did you like your chicken? Now you gotta say yes. It was good, right? It was good. So, okay, great. And so now you come back, say, now hold it before you sign. Do you have any questions that I need to know the answer, to that I can answer for you? Oh, no. Of course not, right? Buying a half million dollars, of course he already gets it, right? So so now he signs, he gives it back to you, and everything is fine, and we have absolutely no resistance, no reactants. There's no discomfort anywhere. He, he's not terrified. He told us he wasn't terrified, and there, but he was comfortable in telling you that he's absolutely man enough to write on a piece of paper. Simple enough.
2: I noticed that when you, uh, when you stopped talking, you sat back. Is yeah. that? I mean, is that? I'm done. Turning the conversation and turning that decision over to the client.
3: Right. So I mean, is that?
2: Uh, talk to us about that. I want to hear more about so that. So for you
3: guys. Listening as you drive to work or at the office, Um, what I did when I asked the question, so here's the paperwork, fill out that page, that front sheet, and then sign it, and if you have any questions, let me know. I'm going to eat, and I just sat back away from the microphone about 18 inches, and I just sat back and I just put food in my mouth. I just took a a, a fork full of uh, vegetables, and I'm just eating, and you now have to answer. You have to answer a question. You have to engage me.
1: I immediately felt some pressure to come up with a response. Absolutely. Especially <laughs> so, a podcast right. so, so
3: you're obligated, you are yep. obligated to communicate to me.
1: But it was right. triggered by the body language and less by the question I noticed. It seemed.
3: I sat back, I shut up, I said nothing. Yeah. And I just started eating. And a lot of times salespeople will shut up without having something to do. That's way less effective than if I sit back and I'm taking a bite of food and another bite of food and a sip of wine and another bite of food. Um, then I can say, is all good, everything good? Yeah, okay, cool. And I can have a little, a couple more bites of my food. He comes up with a section, Um, social, do I have to put my social on it? You and me both, uh, yes, you do.
1: So I know we're coming up on a, a break here, but before we go, uh, I've got one other question. I just wanna go back to the, the office versus home versus restaurant environment. A lot of advisors think it's very important to have an office for perception, yeah. the credibility that yeah. they might get, but it's really not helping them, it sounds like.
3: Just, just imagine that um, you invited to meet this. Well, there's a, Just imagine. We'll just do several here real quick. So option A, you go into an office that is this multi-billion dollar building. It's 100 stories high, downtown Minneapolis, downtown Chicago, wherever it is. And it's just you know the rent must be trillions of dollars a year on this place and so now i see that my my money's going where is it going into myself or is it going into a building you lose from this, the get-go what if you bring me into your building and your building is really sort of next to the dentist office in the little cove over there in egan and it's like just next door and it's just this tiny little office nothing wrong with a tiny little office but why would you bring me to a tiny little office where I'll be uncomfortable and I could actually either be meeting you at your home where you're in your safe environment and I'm the intruder that can be kicked out as opposed to you wanting to escape right okay and so the answer is if you if you see people in their home you'd better be either amazingly good looking the most beautiful elegant communicator on the planet or really lucky because the chances of you doing well are poor. But if you meet people at the restaurant, a nice restaurant, a nice place, somewhere they can have um, a couple of courses of food, a couple of courses, an appetizer, because you want carbohydrates early, just from a tactical standpoint, and then a a meal afterwards where you can actually have somebody filling out a form. It takes about five minutes to fill out a form. It's a little awkward in the moment, because normally you would fill it out, Mm -hmm. but just try it the other way and allow the person to do it themselves and enjoy the process. And no, don't meet them in your office. There's no good reason to bring somebody to your office. There's nothing that can happen at the office that's positive. And if I see something in your office that I don't like, which is going to be almost everything because you aren't me, okay? I was talking with my girlfriend the other day and she said, uh, Kev, so, um, so when you were this religion and uh, how did you feel about that? You know, because I really don't feel comfortable with that. And I said, well, here's the deal. I don't really feel comfortable with this religion, but they're both Christian. Oh, so if you see, but if you see something at my office, so you're going to see something that even though you think it's like you, it really isn't. But if I go to your place, if I go to your home, and I say, hey, Kev, you got, you got one of those uh, uh, time capsules up there. Right? What, what? What? Tell me about that. You know, you can actually have a conversation that's intelligent that means something to somebody. You know, a conversation that means something to somebody, and as opposed to something about you, and your diploma, and your oh. Yuck! Gross! Right. It's evil. Just if you do it, it's your own fault.
1: So when you're in <laughs> there, when when you're in their space, you at least have the opportunity to establish that rapport on something that is um, maybe has some emotional tie that they're going to want to talk about, and it avoids you being the the focus. You know, you know,
3: I've I've done business with Dennis Dunker, State Farm agent in Cannon Falls, Minnesota, for thirty three years. Thirty three years, and uh, over the years, he's become almost like a mentor. And he came to the house, my mom's house, and uh, I bought my first policy. He didn't sell it to me. I told him I needed it because he asked me questions. And I said, well, tell me, what do I got to do? He says, well, you got to have 25, 50, and 100. 25, 50, and 100. And I'm like, what's all? What's that mean? You know, (laughs) comp and collision. What's what's that mean? Uh, You got to have PI. Oh, my gosh, what does that mean, Dennis? And he said, you know what? Some of this stuff replicates what's on your medical insurance. You don't actually need it, but everybody else will sell it to you. Well, don't give me that stuff then. <laughs> I don't want that. You know, well, just I wouldn't do it either. But some people want to. Thirty-three years at about, and I paid Dennis about uh, ten grand a year in total premium. No, a whole more than that. Fourteen grand a year in total premiums for everything. So he makes about fourteen hundred dollars a year from me. And if he had what a um, thousand clients like me, he's doing all right. He, he, he <laughs> retired at age seventy-two with. More money than I can count. and uh, I still love them, and, and the whole point is, is, Dennis never sold me anything.
1: Well, that explains why you seem to know so much about insurance.
3: <laughs> I've learned a lot over the years. It's it's a lot of fun, and I've done I've worked with Million Dollar Roundtable in the insurance industry mm. for a long time, so I'm very familiar with your business, and I, I love your business actually. I think it does a great service for people, and without it, uh, people would be hurting. And I've experienced what it's like to not have it. Yeah. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and we'll come back with more from Kevin.
0: Are you independent? Be part of the cutting edge in fixed life and annuity marketing for the independent agent and advisor. Discover the ECA Advantage, where you'll find the marketing systems, training, products, and expert support you need to take your business to the next level. Sign up now for your free ECA Advantage Network account to get access to ECA's Knowledge is Power 2016 Keynote Video Series, where Kim O'Brien discusses the DOL ruling. For more information, call ECA Marketing today at 800-356-4189 or visit our website, ecamarketing.com.
2: All right, welcome back to Quantum Marketing Radio. I'm your host, Louie Hillman, alongside Jeff Thompson, the leverage marketing guy. Hey, everyone. And uh, we're wrapping up with Kevin Hogan. This has been a fun uh, conversation about the power of persuasion. And, um, you know, just uh, as somebody that has never studied this and is not well-versed in it, just some simple things that somebody could use as takeaways to really uh, make themselves more effective when they're out selling.
3: I think that uh, when when I've talked with insurance agents who have talked to me and tried to steal me away from uh, my agent. My <laughs> ag- he's, he's my agent, right? Yeah. He's my agent. And that's how you want people to talk about you, is they smile too much. And the smile's a really nice thing to see on somebody's face. It sells. But it only sells when it's real. So I tell people, even if you have a scowl like I do, I have a skull that's just evil looking, but when you do smile at somebody, it becomes more genuine and more real. So do remember occasionally to find the remark, the <laughs> comment that, that Louis says that is going to create that engaging smile. But don't smile sitting across the dinner table from me for 10 minutes because I'm going to think that you're taking some vacation <laughs> I really wish I was having. So that's the first thing. The second thing you can do is, is a good takeaway. Again, we'll stick with the body language. Stuff just for a minute here. We can talk about others, and I think we're coming back and we're going to do another episode for you guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. Since uh, since the time was uh, flying so quickly and a very interesting, compelling uh, interview so far, we're going to do another episode. So, part two. So, so, just
3: to continue with answering Louis' question, then a couple other takeaways just on the nonverbal communication side would be um, when you go into someone's house, do ask them. Where nobody ever sits. Which, which chair is not yours? <laughs> Just remember that. That's so important. Then, if you have to talk with a husband and a wife both at the same time, make sure that you do sit across from them on the side of their table and they're both sitting right next to each other to where crosstalk would be very difficult. Usually, um, one person is the say no person in a conversation and the other person is the say yes person in a conversation. Mm -hmm. So let's have Louie and Jeff sitting directly across from Kevin and Kevin's talking to both of them. And my eye contact runs back and forth between the two of you about every eight seconds to where it would be really brutal for you guys to actually break away. And you'd feel rude. In fact, that I'm looking back and forth guys between about every eight seconds I'm breaking, which makes it impossible for them to communicate back and forth between the two of them. Mm -hmm. So I can get them to agree with me more and them to feel more comfortable they'll be uncomfortable at first which is fine but by the time we're done it will be comfortable because i will have walked them through what i think they need to do for their world so that's that's a really cool tool a tactic is just get people sitting directly across from you side by side from each other if kids walk into the room no problem invite them to sit down and say wow an opportunity for kids to learn about life insurance sit down ask the ask the seven, 10, 12, 14 year old. What do you know about insurance? Nothing, can I tell you? And now all of a sudden I'm talking to the child, the 14 year old child, the 12 year old child. Say insurance means that if something goes really bad, like if dad gets sick, that we pay his bills so you don't have to, does that sound cool? Oh yeah, that's pretty cool, right. (laughs) right? So you can communicate that. And then say, so what do, you do? what do you do for a living, kid? You're 12 years old. What's going on in life? What are you doing for a living? Well, actually, I don't work. Well, what do you do? I go to school. Oh, really? Is it fun or do you hate it like the rest of my kids did? Oh, no, it's fun. I like it. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Give him a minute. Let him talk. Let him find something he likes about it. The only thing he likes is recess anyway. So let's let him talk about how much fun he's having out there and say, I, I wish you would stay and hang out. Can you stay and hang out with, with your mom and dad and me? I'd really appreciate it because usually I don't get to have kids around. Here's the deal. Most agents want to get children out of the room, which is really stupid, because everything in life is really yeah. wrapped around that child, yeah. you know? The reason that that couple is together is because of that child. They fight, they scream, they hate, they hoot and holler at each other all day and night. But when it comes to this child, that's gold. And you just said that this child is important to have around, and you affirm the fact to me, the father, the mother, that having this child is valuable. Oh, but I don't want the distraction, Kev, because I wouldn't be able to make my pitch.
1: Well, and they're, the reason they're there is probably because of that child, right? So right. the reason you have the appointment in the first place. So our producers are lucky.
2: They have the opportunity to engage in your ideas and your expertise. How do, uh, how do they sign up to, you know, uh, get content from you?
3: Yeah, every week. Coffee with Kevin Hogan goes out. The newsletter has been, uh, it's a neat text e-newsletter that's been going out since 2002. It's one of the oldest um, on the planet, actually. And uh, we're pretty proud of that. It's 14 years old now. Every week it's in your mailbox. There's a promotion every single week. You should always be asking for yes, right? What Dottie Walters said, right? But at the same time, there's also content which requires absolutely no additional investment to do. Cool tools, just like we talked about today. Simple, cool techniques you can easily implement. So you go to KevinHogan.com, the, the sign-up uh, is on the right-hand side. There's a couple of bonuses. You don't need them. They're both awesome, and you'll you learn a lot if you read them. Okay, fine, you do need them. So one is called Mind Access. It shows you how to connect at a very cool level with people that allows you to be, make fast connections, things you've never heard of, I promise. And the other is a marketing. It's 33 marketing strategies that you can look at. Um, but the key thing, though, is to get Coffee with Kevin Hogan every week. And if you don't like it, unsubscribe, because we wouldn't need you on the list uh if, you, if you, you don't like, like it. <laughs> so. I don't know how they couldn't
1: like it. This is all great stuff. It's so. pretty cool. So that's
3: that's really what I'd love for people to do is just to see people that uh, come to my work that way.
1: Well, great. Well, we're going to wrap this episode up. It's been a pleasure having you on. And uh, we're going to have you back for uh, part two, if that's all right. So That'd be great. All right. Well, thanks for uh, listening to Quantum Marketing Radio this week. I'm Jeff Thompson. And I'm Louie Hillman. We'll and talk to you next week.
0: Thanks. Are you ready to escape the low-target IUL sales trap? There are systems and skills, or an IUL code, that top producers in the industry have discovered to find quality, high-value IUL prospects. When you register to attend the Cracking the IUL Code Symposium today, you'll get the code to higher-target IUL sales. Strategies to attract high-net-worth prospects that really need IUL. It's all covered in the free... Cracking the IUL Code Symposium. There's no risk to you. This unique online training event is 100% free, including the software. Sign up now CrackingtheIULCode.com. crackingtheiulco.com. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Find out more about the Quantum Marketing System at quantummarketingsystem.com.